Hey everybody, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. It's a wonderful sunny Saturday here in Austin, Texas, and we are coming to you to talk about classical things. My name is AJ Hanneberg, and I am joined by Graham Donaldson. Hi. And Thomas Magby. Hello. And the three of us used to all work together at Veritas Academy. Now we have, you know, some of us work other places. We got other irons in the fire, and uh, we're still doing stuff. And so... It's our, me. I did it. I'm sorry. Yep. I, our, bro- uh, I broke up the band. Is that what's happening right now? <laughs> hey, our band is still together. The band we're is still, still together. Still sorry, playing I apologize. Right. Yeah. I don't see no Yoko. Yeah. Yoko would be the one tearing us apart. Exactly. Is that the, so okay. Math. Math is our Yoko. Math is, the, yeah, <laughs> math is our Yoko. Math is our Yoko. I like everyone trying to piece that together right there. Good. Anyway, we are here, and what our job is to do is bring you classical old things in a way that is palatable and fun and will hopefully, hopefully make you love education in a way that maybe you didn't when you were in school. And today we are talking about Herodotus and his histories, as far as I know. But why we would trust anyone from a thousand years ago to tell us what happened a thousand years ago is Makes no that's sense. beyond me. Yeah, even older than that, right? So, uh, yeah, so I guess this will follow in with what Graham was talking about last time in terms of happiness. Uh, him mentioning that just brought to mind a couple of stories about happiness that we'll cover over the course of this episode right now. I do also, uh, I approach this topic with some amount of fear and trembling in that AJ is the one who teaches ancient history every year at Veritas and has done so for the last how many years? Ooh, 13? Yeah, so like that. Yeah. how many times have you come across Herodotus's histories? Uh, I have never read them. History is a weak spot for me, actually. Oh, but you, you, in previous episodes, you've made reference to it, so you've at least done enough research to like know some know of the stuff. Thing. Yeah, and yeah. know some of the stories that are in here. Yep. So in the same way that maybe I had some rephrasings to do from our social psychology episode last time, AJ will probably have plenty of rephrasings to do as I make things up, as I pretend to or attempt to summarize Herodotus. Um, before I go into it, where do I want to start? So we will be talking about happiness. We'll cover the first half of book one of Herodotus. So we're barely scratching the surface in this book. It's a massive book. You all can see it. What? Just give me a reaction. What do you think in looking at this book, AJ and Graham? It's a big book. It's a big book. I would assume that something like that holds definitions. Oh, say, <laughs> it looks like a dictionary. Looks like a dictionary. So m- my experience reading it is more akin to the Bible, I guess I would say. It feels very Old Testament-y to me that there's like a, uh, there's a certain amount of repetition to it as you go through it. And there's a lot of reference material in this book, which in the same way, if you pick up a study Bible, it's just, it's a giant book that you're reading. Right. Um, the version I'm going through is the landmark Herodotus. It's edited by Robert Strassler, but it's actually like translated by Andrea Purvis. And it is great. Um, I don't know if you all, Graham, I, I'm sorry, I, I should have, it. I, should I, have it. I don't have it, but, but you, I haven't read it, but I have it. You, you, you don't, you've, you've read it. I've read the histories like in undergrad yeah. a long time ago. I should have brought that up earlier. I apologize. I assume you all don't have strong opinions about translations of Herodotus. Is that an fair assumption to make? I do not I, have strong I do not opinions. Okay, yeah, good. This I makes don't. me feel better. Um, I like this one a lot. It's also the only one that I've ever uh, read. So there you go. <laughs> so I'm going to do, this is briefly a, a sales pitch kind of, and I apologize. And mostly when I say sales pitch, it's because the intro, weirdly enough, ends up being a sales pitch. Um, In reading, just in in drawing that comparison to like reading through the Old Testament, it's like really hard to just like open up Genesis and just read through the Old Testament. There's a lot of stuff going on. The, um, you know, the country names have changed in a lot of places. Like the tribe names don't really exist anymore. There's just a lot of stuff that's hard to understand in approaching ancient history. And this version is very much it's geared toward the common reader. It's not for, they're very explicit about this not being for academics. So they've done all kinds of things where they will translate certain units of measurement to a modern day measurement, which would probably make 
an academic lose their hair or pull it, you know, tear their hair out. But for me reading it, it makes it a much more readable account. Um, so, yeah. so they'd use Istanbul, not Constantinople. Are you referencing the song? You always do well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's newer. Istanbul is Constantinople. No, so no, so I mean, like, that's, that's it's the newer thing. Yeah. They're using more modern. Yes. Yeah, okay. They will so. still use the older names. So, for instance, we're going to talk about Lydia, which is a region of Turkey. So they're not going to call it Turkey. So there's stuff like that that they'll keep old because it doesn't make sense. Like, there's no, like, Lydian empire. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make sense to not use the old name because they're, anyway, the purpose of the history is to trace the uh, genealogy, essentially. Um, but they're, you know, where they can make a modern adjustment, they do for the sake of it being more readable. A ton of maps. There are 127 maps. There are 21 appendices across 120 pages. I told you it was sales, pi- sales pitchy, sorry. Uh, overall, the book is almost 1,000 pages, 953 pages, and just a thing that made me laugh. This is a quote from the introduction. The most thoroughly, in, the, I'm sorry, the most thorough and complete index that can be found in any English translation. It's an index that's 100 pages long. So right. there's just a ton of... Now, the maps aren't Herodotus's original maps. Correct. They are okay. added to make sense of gotcha. where these regions are that he's talking about. So, again, in talking cool. about Lydia, if you wanted to find Lydia on the map, where would you find that? Mm. Turkey, apparently. Yeah. yeah, Turkey is the right answer. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Turkey. What were you going to say? Oh, no, nothing. Okay, good. So, it's great if you're looking for a version of it. Uh, there's also, there are a bunch of other landmark edition or landmark books. There's a Thucydides, if you want to read his histories instead of the Herodotus one. Uh, and I'm, there are other landmark translations also, but I don't know anything about them. So get off my back. I don't know anything. The landmark series comes from a guy named Robert Strassler, who is the editor. Uh, Robert Strassler is not a is not an academic. I I don't know a ton about his story because there, there I would expect there to be more online and more in the book. But he um, founded he. he he was president of Riverside Capital Management. So he's like, a, I, I tried looking up the website and I think it's now defunct. So I think this was like a, in the seventies and eighties company. So it's not like around anymore, but some form of either private equity or hedge fund. Like he made his money through finance. That's the way to do it, right? Like make your money through finance and then you can go do fun classical stuff. Yes. So he, <laughs> yeah, I did it the wrong way. Yeah, not this yeah. way. I'm going, I'm going backwards. <laughs> I just look, he's onto something. So he makes all this money and then he's like, well, you know, the thing that I miss, he took, he went to Harvard and I think at Harvard took some kind of class in the classics and that awakened this interest in him for studying the classics. Man. <laughs> You're just bummed out. Yeah. You're still young. You have time. You can still follow this path. You can, I don't think I can. pursue filthy lucre. There's, there's plenty of time. Yeah. When I was what wild and young, why, why did I pursue Frisbee instead mm. of mm. finance? Lucre. <laughs> Because frisbee is more fun for you, I guess. I don't know. That's true. Some, like some people enjoy finance. But. Think oh. of what who you could have been. I mean, in the, in the negative sense, maybe it would have been mean. You could have been the yeah the yeah. darkest timeline. AJ could have been bad. Someone who questions other people's episode choices, for example. Yeah. That happened immediately <laughs> before this, and it went very well. Not for my episode, just to be clear. My episode was in the clear. Okay, so Robert Strassler makes a bunch of money. Riverside Capital Management wants to start a. Are y'all reconciling right now? Is everything? Yeah, okay? I'm good. trying. I'm okay. trying to reconcile. Yeah, I'm glad we're doing this part on air. Just yeah, just so you guys, just for a little background for our listeners. Before we started this episode, I was questioning Graham's choice in episodes and being a punk, and so I'm apologizing. But at this point, they won't know what the topic is. They're gonna have to wait a week to find out right. what you were judging. Graham on. I'm okay with this. And so in a week, I might be vindicated, but probably not. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. The three of us will find out very shortly. <laughs> you, listener, will have to wait a week. So, Stressler, money, and he wants to make this translation, goes to a bunch of publishing agencies, uh, publishing houses, I don't know what the term is, publishers, and says, hi, I want to do this. And all of them are like, great idea. We're not going to give you any money. So he has to front the money to make this translation happen, which sounds really frustrating, 
but he has the money, so there's that. And it also gives him full ownership over the product that he's making. So in his introduction, he'll talk about why he picked Andrea Purvis, Dr. Purvis, to um, edit the work. And the back and forth that they did, he got to have this ownership over both the translation itself, but then also 120 pages of appendices. These are people he's meeting, he's talking with to help him personally understand this book. So it, it adds like a unique voice to it, I guess I would say, that he has full ownership over it. And then ultimately, it ends up selling just fine. So, you know, you'll, you'll still find the landmark Thucydides in the top 10 of its category. Now, did he so. do the Herodotus? Th- th- sorry, you said Thucydides. Did he do that one as well? The yes, Thucydides what, yes. and the Herodotus? So, okay. again, if you if you log on to Amazon right now, Thucydides is higher, which is the reason I'm saying that. That's because all about war. Yeah, exactly. So there's some that's more maybe exciting, you would yeah. say. But um, I find Herodotus really interesting, and we'll get into that in a second. So again, this is all just kind of a rambly introduction to say this edition is great. If you're looking for a version of Herodotus, I've been thinking about this recently of I, I hold in high regard, the great books of the Western world, the Mortimer Adler collection of books, but the translations are really bad. Mm. So like what's actually good about it is the list of books he picks, but not necessarily, again, if you were to go and pick up Herodotus from great books of the Western world, it's selections. It's not the entire book as far as I'm aware. And you don't have, 120 maps or whatever associated with it. Translation is a big deal. We're teaching uh, the new translation for crime and punishment this year. And? So uh, it makes, it is like a night and day difference. It is so good. Yeah. This this new translation. It's the one that is, um, it's this couple, um, she has a Russian last name. They've done Tolstoy. They've done a lot of the, of Dostoevsky. Oh, it is so good. And our old, old Norton anthology translation I like shudder to think that we taught from it for 10 years. I mean, it, it's crazy because it doesn't seem as literary. Like the yes. sentence structures aren't mm-hmm, as complex. Mm-hmm. The vocabulary is the probably Norton a little more. One or the, one, the new the one? The new one. The new one does, mm-hmm. just doesn't yeah. seem as literary, but it is so much more vivid and so much more engaging. Yeah. And feel all of a sudden, parts of the story make sense that yep. didn't make sense mm-hmm. to me prior. And it was just because, I don't know, right. there, there was something missing in the way that they had translated into a more stilted yeah. it's fashion. It's got a great feel to it. Yeah, it really it. does. Mm-hmm. It's good. We'll talk about this in a very long time in the future because it's a long book, but I think we've mentioned before that uh, Patreon supporters at the top level can recommend book topics, and we had a one of our Patreon um, supporters recommend Philology, which is a book that just came out, or I think a few years ago at this point. Anyway, it's a, the argument of the book is that the modern humanities come out of the study of language, right? So that um, the core of why any of these, any literature, any great ideas matter is the study of language off the bat. I, the idea that's interesting to me is I like this edition because it's readable. I do think there's some trade off. I don't know. I'd have to do more like side by side comparisons, but even we talked forever ago, I prefer the Don Quixote that is funny and relatable to a Don Quixote that's silted and maybe sounds more professional or sounds more serious. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, I'm sure there's a, a point where you go too far with it. Just so I bring her up, Andrea Purvis is the person who actually like translated, you know, the core of this book, the core 700 pages that make up the the histories. Again, not including the index and not including the uh, appendices. The appendices are written by other professors primarily. I'll just this is just from the book. Andrea Purvis holds a PhD in classical studies from Duke University, uh, taught. Uh, Uh, taught in Duke University's Department of Classical Studies. She is the author of um, Singular Dedications and um, this, you know, says she lives in Durham, North Carolina. Sadly, she died in 2018. So this, uh, the book obviously came out before then, but uh, sadly died in 2018. I tried looking up on 
Robert Strassler to see what he's up to. And I didn't find a lot. I found he's still listed as the treasurer for a foundation. So, um, I, you know, I hope he's still living. That would put him at around 83, somewhere 82, 83, depending on when his birthday is, but there you go. So Strassler still treasuring. Um, yeah, I'll bring up another guy later. I guess let, let's dive into it since I've given you enough setup. I promise this is a good addition. And by good, I mean, I enjoyed it. What do you all know about Herodotus before we jump in? Uh, he wrote the, I mean, he wrote this book. He wrote this book about histories. If I remember correctly, it even starts with like the creation of stuff, right? Doesn't it have a creation narrative in there. We don't go that far back. Okay. Then I, then I'm confusing it with something else. So suffice to say, I don't know anything. <laughs> Maybe Ovid. Ovid has a creation. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so, and who, like, you know, so who is he, who is his influence? Who is he, I, I, I don't know why I'm trying to give you an obnoxious question. This is, like, where history comes from. Mm-hmm. So you'll get some debate as to who the father of history is, but it's com- it's a title commonly associated with Herodotus. So he's kind of kicking off this field of study where he's trying, we'll get into what he actually writes down in the first half of this book, um, but this thing called history, he kicks off, right? And he, what, uh, AJ, again, you, this is a book you've referenced before. What, um, what do you know about it? When, when did I reference it? In, <laughs> you're hilarious. In, um, your episode on Chaucer, you brought up, um, Croesus and that story of Croesus comes from Herodotus. Do you remember this? Oh, the, where he asks, do you consider me lucky? Yes, that's the story we're going to talk about it's, today. It's also, as far as I know, in Plutarch's Lives. Oh, there you go. Is that where you got it from? Probably. I, I have okay. read Plutarch. I, I haven't read Herodotus. Okay. Well, that'll be interesting. Okay. We'll get to that later then. Okay. So um, history and um, history, um, these are observations that he's making. So a lot of times he'll, we, there's no feasible way to go through all the story that occurs in even the first half of one of the books. So I'm going to be very high level for most of this. Um, but there are a number of times where there will be fantastical elements that he'll kind of, he'll tell the story and then say, you know, that's what I heard from so-and-so that's what I heard from this group of people, or that's the story told in the city. Um, so a very long ago conversation we had was about when history includes these magical elements, is that still history? And it seems to Herodotus, the answer is yes. He's, not making judgment on the stories that he's hearing. He's receiving them, writing them down. And even to the point that his opening line. So the, the thing he is setting out to do, this is line number one, Herodotus of Halicarnassus, which is in Western Turkey. So Herodotus of Halicarnassus here presents his research so that human events do not fade with time. May the great and wonderful deeds, some brought forth by the Helens, Helene's others by the barbarians not go unsung as well as the causes that led them to make war on each other. So give me a, so he wants to like preserve the memory of things. Yes. So there are things that he's going to hear, but, but what kind of things? But, in, but narratively narrative, but say, so he's not doing it in terms of like monuments, statues or uh, other kinds of memorials. Like you think, you know, you think of in the old Testament when they cross, the Red Sea or whatever, they're like, all right, we got to build a little, a little rock house so that everybody who walks by, they're like, what's the deal with this rock house? Someone will say, oh, that's because we, God let us pass through the the Red Sea or whatever. Yes. Um, So that still has a narrative, but that's got an oral narrative element to it. But he's wanting to, to write the story down 
and have the book itself be the monument. Yes. With and when you say monument, it's to these human events that there are human events that we don't want to re- forget. Mm-hmm. We don't want them to fade with time. Mm-hmm. So it's a collection of great and wonderful deeds is what he's describing his work as primarily. And also it's not limited to the Greeks. I think that's yeah. an interesting thing to kick off again, the first work of history. It's not, I'm here again. I, I your intro to the epics episode, AJ, where you talk about, the Aeneid being a Roman puff piece. That's not Herodotus's goal. Yeah. Now he'll have a hard time. I've only read about this. I haven't gotten to it, but he'll have a hard time when he's like talking about the Egyptians where sometimes he'll get some digs in because he comes from a context, but his express intention off the bat is to be fair to everyone he's hearing about to record heroic stories that are worth passing on. Cool. Most of the old histories I've read come with some sort of bias, yeah. right? Even Plutarch's lives, he makes a judgment about the kings after each king, right? Yeah. His is a very explicit explicit bias. That's interesting. Let's go, because th- when we get to the end of this one, there's clearly a, a judgment being made on the Croesus as the king that will follow over the course of this story. There's a clear judgment being made, but it's not based on where he's from, I guess is what I, like there's a... Would you say that's what Plutarch is? Is Plutarch judging them Plutarch for? Plutarch tries to be fair, oh. I think. But is he fair? Is he judging because they were his enemies in life yes. or because of their that's moral decisions? Yeah. Who, Plutarch? Yeah. yeah. It's usually moral decisions. Yeah, okay. yeah. and it's yeah. the same with Herodotus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, Herodotus will not be like, uh, you know, we love bloodthirsty people, but he's not just saying, I love Greeks, right? He's, he's trying to collect all of these different wonderful stories from wherever they come from. Um, and, again, he's telling the story of like all the, the entire known world at the time that he's that, that that's overstating it, but he's trying, uh, there's a reason it's a thousand pages is I guess what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um, we don't know a ton about this guy, Herodotus. There's no reason not to believe him when he says he's born in Helicarnassus. I already told you that's Western Turkey. Um, he was born around, uh, um, 480. Um, uh, he, uh, 40 before the common era. So BCE, uh, lived much of his life in exile, and then he lived a lot of his life in a in an Athenian colony in southern Italy, and he traveled a lot, which is where this story comes from. The title he gives to this book is, when we say history, that means inquiry. Inquiry is what he's doing over the course of this book. That's the literal translation for the word. Okay. <clears throat> so we already went off the first sentence. He wants to collect heroic deeds. I'm going to skip over lots of details because it's there are too many names and too many stories to go through. Just so I, another thing I love about this book is that in the on the notes on the side, there's like a summary of each section. So it's just so easy to flip around. Guys, buy this book. I have. I do. Oh, you own the landmark? I do. Oh. Yeah, they're on my desk in my oh. class. You should. Uh, both of yep. you're saying Herodotus and... Thucydides and Herodotus. Actually, AJ bought them for me as a teacher gift one year. Yep. It looks like I've got Thucydides up there. <laughs> That's I think I might have Herodotus someplace. He's going to start looking for it right now. Um, so this will <laughs> uh, kick off with um, um, uh, this conflict between, um, uh, he'll talk about the Hellenes and the barbarians. When he talks about barbarians, it's just anyone who's not Greek is what he's getting at there. There's a uh, conflict back and forth. There's this um, abduction of women that goes back and forth Uh-oh. and is met person for person, essentially. So that goes back and forth. Um, and then just like as an aside, he'll have this little thing, um, about a little conflict. Let's see if you've heard this one. Um, they say in the generation following these events, Alexandros, son of Priam, you heard of Priam before, 
uh, heard the stories and wanted to abduct a wife from Hellas for himself, quite confident that he would pay no penalty since the other side had not paid either. Um, and so he abducted Helen. Have you ever heard Alexandros for Paris? Uh, Alexander, yeah, it's a, it's another name for him. There you go. So mm. well, the story, well, he's not telling the fantastical no, that's the wrong word, but like he doesn't, he's not telling the, the, the Homeric version. Yeah. Homeric version. He's, he's telling it. the story of a guy who there's this abduction of women back and forth between warring parties. And he says, I want to get in on this war. I went in, yeah. I went in on this and steals Helen. If people be abducting women, that's right. Want, uh, yeah. Yep. NFTs. <laughs> I don't think I like the comparison of women to NFTs. And no, it's just like the, the, the frenzy. Everyone wants in on it. Yeah. No, it's not fair. good. I'm Thank just, you. All right. You think crypto is bad? Is that what you're trying? I think people spending thousands of dollars for pictures of penguins. Millions is, of dollars. What do you is, mean? Uh, it's got to be money yeah, laundering. I mean, it might be kind of flattering, right? NFTs sure, are man. entirely unique and can't be reproduced, right? That's right. This, this is true. Same, yeah. same with Helen. This is the same as Helen. Um, so, again, I only, it's just like a funny thing that's brought up, not funny, but the Trojan War is a piece of what's happening in this point in Herodotus' story, but it doesn't, it's not told the same way or mm-hmm. at nearly the same level of detail that Homer does almost to the point that it's like very clearly you should go read the Iliad and the Odyssey. Like Herodotus is not trying to recount that entire story right here. It ultimately makes up two paragraphs of the story and then he just moves on from there. But anyway, Trojan war, it happens in here. Um, the main character who he's interested in for this first half of the book is, um, a king named Croesus. Um, Croesus is a, is king of a region called Lydia, which I've referenced a few times at this point. Um, and she's the best companion in Skyrim too. Uh, uh, yeah, she's also sworn um, to carry your burdens. Yeah. What? I don't know what's happening right now. She's also, uh, she, uh, Lydia is also a region that <laughs> currently we would call Turkey Just moving on from there. Um, so to, we have to get to Croesus somehow. So Herodotus is going to tell the story of how we get from not the line of Croesus to the line of Croesus. And it involves a guy named Gyges. Now, AJ, you've, in Plato's Republic, there's Gyges and a ring of Gyges. Does this ring a bell? Oh, the ring of Gyges. Isn't that the invisible? It's a ring that turns you invisible? Yes. Do you remember what Gyges does with it in the Republic? He makes himself king, doesn't he? Do you know how he, he does it? Doesn't he sleep with the queen? Yeah. So it's, it's just like a wretched story in the Republic. Yeah, he it's like, horrible. He's he turns, a horrible person. turns invisible, and I don't know the order, but he, kills, he turns invisible, kills the king. Um, Isn't there a part where someone gets buried in a pot? He finds the ring in the first place. Oh, okay. So Gyges is out on the land. There's an earthquake. It opens up a you know a thing in the ground. There's a pot. Yeah. Inside of that is a ring that turns oh, him invisible. Gotcha. With that ring, he then goes and kills the king and um, marries the queen and becomes king. It's like a rare exotic artifact. Found, right? <laughs> We're really gonna follow this <laughs> NFT bit. Okay, good. I like it. So that's wait, we're exotic. Which is it Skyrim again? Sure, maybe. We're back I don't to know. This is it's good. A, just so Lydia is an NFT. Am no, I following your? Oh my word. Uh, okay, good. Uh, so, so he finds a ring and it turns him invisible. Well, that's and uh, he's got to go to Mount Doom. Wait. Yeah, nailed it. Yeah, he has to gather his friends together. Yeah. And um, this is the farthest I've no, the closest I've ever been to Mount. What's this thing that Sam says over and over again? Anyway, um, but the farthest he's ever been outside of the Shire. That's what I'm Frodo. looking for. Frodo. <laughs> that's what he says that a lot. Thank you, Frodo. Uh, for some reason, YouTube keeps serving up to me the video that's. Um, Lord of the Rings, but every time Sam takes a step, it's that line over and over again. So anyway, for some reason, <laughs> YouTube thinks that's what I want to watch, which it's not in case YouTube is listening. Um, so that's the version of the Gaiji story told by Plato. It's not the version that's told here. And again, Plato's version depends on this mystical event of finding this magical ring, turning invisible, and then stuff happening from there. 
Um, the story told in Herodotus is of a, there's a um, ruler of this region. Um, so Sardis is the capital of Lydia, or it's like the biggest city in Lydia. So it's um, Candalus, the king of Sardis. And Candalus is, he rules, he's not a particularly great guy, as you'll see from the story that we're having, we're about to dive into. But um, Candalus um, has a beautiful wife, and he loves to brag about his wife and he's in love with his wife and he's getting drunk one day and talking with his guard Gyges and Candalus is saying, um, Hey Gyges, my wife is really, really pretty and she's the most beautiful woman in the world. And Gyges is like, that's great. Really glad to hear it. And Candalus is like insistent. No, no. She's like the most beautiful woman in the world and I need to prove it to you. And Gyges is like, I don't want you to prove this to me. And Candalus says, here's what we're going to do. Um, I, I'm going to go up into the bedroom and while I'm in the bedroom getting ready for bed, she's going to get undressed as a, you know, to get ready to go to bed. You stand behind the door so that she can't see you just, and just look at her just to prove she's the most beautiful woman in the world. And guy Jesus is like, that's a horrible idea. I hate this idea. I don't want to do this. Um, it's dishonorable. Look at the time. Thanks for dinner. <laughs> like, I gotta be going here. Guy Jesus is right. Let's, yeah. uh, yes. let's, uh, guy Jesus even will, uh, say, uh, he, tr- he quotes a proverb ad, uh, Candalus, look only at what belongs to you. Um, I do believe that she is the most beautiful of all women, and I beg you not to ask for what is against all decency. So Gyges is like, I don't want to do this. Gyges sounds like a stand-up guy. Gyges is a stand-up guy, but Candalus is not, and he is insistent, and so Gyges is like, you're my king. I guess we're doing this. So that's what happens. Candalus goes up to go to bed. The queen is up there going to bed also. Um, Gyges is behind the door hiding. She's naked, and then Gaiji sneaks out because he's like, I don't want to be here. But Candalus's wife sees Gaiji's. And so the Candalus's wife then goes to Gaiji's the next day and says, Hey, I know that you saw me. Um, I'm going to give you two options. You can either kill yourself or you can kill my husband and take over the kingdom um, for the reason that he quoted before. You can't, it is wrong to look upon one who's not yours is I mean, oh man that's an ultimatum to start yeah, a relationship yeah, how do you like, like that yeah, yeah well there's an either or fallacy right there yeah. it's like either you kill yourself <laughs> or you kill my husband I'd be like or <laughs> I move away yeah. from yeah. here it's not even mm-hmm. yeah again it's uh, at any rate either he should die since he planned the deed or you should since you saw me naked which violated all de- all decency which is what Gaiji said uh, at the beginning and so. This woman seems seems intense. Yes, a little like bit. She's, intense, she's yes. a little intense lady. But I mean, it's like a, it's self respect, right? And she's, if the queen is offering yeah. you like, hey, if you kill my husband, you can become king, and uh, right. And the alternative is you kill yourself. So he's like, he's not happy about this, and he doesn't want to kill his king, but also he doesn't want to die himself. So if he only there was another option. <laughs> if only he could exile himself. Nah, that doesn't make any sense. But so that's what oh, happens. Hmm. So um, Gaijis kills. Um, the king, Candalus, and he becomes the king of Sardis. So the so Sardis is that, again, the capital, king of Lydia. And this then moves the lineage from the, I think it's the Heracles were Candalus's line, and then it's the... Sardini- Sardines. Is that? You're just making that up. Thank you. Uh, the uh, I want to say mermaids, but it's mermads, I think is how it's spelled, which is a dumb name anyway. So the li- the line... Merman. Mer- <laughs> Please continue. Merman. Yeah, thank you. Um, so that is what shifts the line from Heracles to the line of Gyges. We'll just go with that. But there's this thing at the end where um, Gyges is told... So Gyges wanted to act honorably. He was forced into what he did, but he still did a horrible thing by mm-hmm. killing his king. 
And so the, the compromise that's come to is um, that he will not pay the penalty for this. He's going to be king. He's going to live a good life. He's going to have kids. But well, his kids are going to have it. There's going to be a punishment down the line because Dang. his line benefits from all this. And it was evil that kicked it all off. So um, shouldn't have gone to that dinner party. That's exactly right. Uh, so the Oracle did, in fact, declare. So I think I want to say Gaiji sent a bunch of um, gifts to the Oracle Delphi. And in response, the Oracle did, in fact, declare for him. So. Gyges is declared the king, so, um, but the, the Pythia, so the, the person who speaks for the oracle, the Pythia, added this. Retribution would come from the Heraclids to the fourth descendant of Gyges. The Lydians and their kings disregarded this part of the oracle until it actually came to pass, which it's a long book. We'll get there eventually. So they're like, oh, four generations? Okay. Who cares, right? Who cares? Like, got some at time. this point, they don't care. And for all intents and purposes, I don't think that that was passed on. So it's not mentioned again until it's relevant. So I think they just kind of ignored that part and just kind of kept going with the story. I mean, if you're the guy who's getting the thing, you're like, oh man, my kids and grandkids going to be fine. Right. Then what do I care? Right? Yeah. What, yeah. I don't give two rips yeah. what happens. But, so that th- but then if your life's are like, if you're having a real rough go and you go to ancestry.com and you start looking back on it, you're like, oh, <laughs> this is Wait why. <laughs> There's like a, a little asterisk. Yeah, great grandpa cursed <laughs> like, me. <laughs> but it, it looks like all that's a little re- drop down menu. Right. It's like, I need to know about this, but like just in following the story from, uh, you know, I got it. What do you got? Adrian? I was just thinking like 30% Sardinian, uh-huh. 40%, you know, Helene also 100%. 5% 100%. 100% I can deal with 5%. <laughs> um, so then what follows this is just, you know, Gyges has children. They go into battle. There's like genealogy. Again, this is like straight up Old Testament stuff. There's the boring stuff. Sorry. Sorry, I would never. Uh, in between the like story parts of it. So that then takes us to the guy who we're interested in, who is Croesus. So Croesus will is a descendant of Gyges and will. Which one? Uh, one of them. Uh, again, is that's, he number? Is he four? Is he the? Is he the cursed uh, guy? We'll we'll get to it. Okay. But so um, so Croesus will uh, become king of Lydia. So king of Sardis, and um, there are good parts to him. He's, you know, combat is really important, so he's really good at making combat. He beats a bunch of other kind of cities, or not city-states, but like tribes around him, other people groups around him, and he gets really rich. This, I, I, you know, I'm an old soul. Have you all heard the expression, rich as Croesus? Mm-hmm. Is this a, in, mm-hmm. <laughs> what does that expression mean? Does it mean you're poor? No. What does it mean? Means you're rich. Okay. Do you, do you know where? <laughs> thank you. Thank you, listener land. Um, what? Why is that an expression? And you're going to say because Croesus was rich. There's anyway. Do you know more about it than that? Didn't he eventually lose his riches? We'll get to that. That does come eventually. So you're saying that the saying kind of has this kind of subtone. Or like, un- oh man, you rich, but there's this curse to it. Yeah. My understanding. And you got it in a p- bad way. So. Um, Croesus's wealth, I think pieces of this are in here, but there's again, broader mythology that, um, King Midas is referenced in Herodotus, mm. but not, I don't think it's in the way of everything he touches turns to gold, but there was an actual King. I think there were a few King Midases who lived in this kind of, um, I think just East of Lydia and the story of King Midas, everything he touches turns to gold. There are lots of versions of like why this goes bad, but one of them is that he can't eat anything because every time he touches food, it turns to gold. I thought he hugs his kids. There's that. Yeah. There, again, there are different versions of like what the thing is that's bad. Um, I'll just go around giving high fives to all my enemies. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Hey, man, up and top. Turn rich. <laughs> but to I'm gonna melt you down. 
Do you, do you all know what he had to do to get rid of the, uh, I was going to say curse, but to get rid of the ability to turn things into gold? Mm. Essential oils? Yeah, yeah, nailed it. There's a river he has to go to mm. and wash his hands out. Well, that river is near where Croesus lives. And so the the way the story goes is that there's all this gold in the river. There isn't any more today because people got all the gold out of it. But for a long time, there's just gold in the rivers um, near Lydia. So that's a part of where his wealth comes from. Ah, so Croesus just watches this guy wash his hands and like, all his oh, rocks turn to gold. And he's like, yeah. all right. Yeah, okay. I guess Lydia is also the first region to mint uh, coinage. Cool. So like silver and gold, which is at the very end of the story. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff of what they do, but they I wonder, I wonder how consistent they were with the tale. Like, what if mm. King Midas had, you know, taken a swim in the Red Sea? What happens? <laughs> Does the water all turn to gold? Like, what if he, what if he cannonballed? Would he just get locked That's in a, a big point. gold tomb? There's a specific one that the, I think it's what Pythia told him to go to, but uh, I guess, I don't know. You take a shower, you just pelt it with little gold rocks. Oh, I mean, look, as long as I get gold out of the whole thing, that doesn't sound so bad. Okay, so he is, he beats all these people at war. He's really rich. And he wants to get some approval from people. So he throws a party. And at this party, he invites all the you know big name people he can think of. And one of the people he invites is a guy named Solon. Mm. What do you all know about Solon? He is the writer of the law. In, where is he from? I don't know. Athens. Greece. Yeah, okay. he's, yeah. A, he's a Grecian. And wasn't, he, so he's one of the guys I actually got up to in, in Plutarch's life, cool. and I kind of remember, isn't he, wasn't he a farmer, and they press-ganged him into to being do the king? laws. That's not in here, but yes, that's the story of him. Yeah. And then he does it, and he's like, I don't want to be here. So he sets all the laws, and then he leaves for 10 years. That's my greatest fear. What? Is that, like, people just kick down my door and be <laughs> yeah. like, you're a senator. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh darn it. Why, why are you doing a podcast listened to by lots of people? <laughs> I don't, anyway, this, this seems like you're tempting fate right now. Or like they drag me back to Canada and they're like, congratulations, you're a member of parliament. It's like, Gah! Yeah. For Solon, he said, no, I don't want to be king. And they said, well, be king or we'll kill or you. We kill you yes. And he's like, fine, I'll make some laws for you, whatever. And so he, he comes in, he writes all their first round of laws, and then he leaves, both because he doesn't want to be there. But then also he, as a part of the condition of what AJ is talking about, made them agree to not change the laws for 10 years. So he didn't want to be forced to change any of his own laws because it's one thing for someone else to change the law. If he were still there, he could be forced into it, and then it would cause Athens to fall apart. All that to say, he sets the laws, leaves for 10 years, and he's just traveling. And um, I think this is after, I think it's after the 10 years because they reference the 10 years here. Anyway, so Solon is, is in Lydia at this party where Croesus is showing off how wealthy he is. He shows off all his money. He shows off, um, he has um, children. He shows off, um, just his family is doing well and he wants everyone to praise him, to, to tell, tell him how great he is. And so he asks, so Croesus asks Solon, obviously in a, he's, he's a begging the question. He's, he's looking for a specific answer. He asks Solon, he Croesus asks Solon, who is the happiest of men? Hey man, how great am I? Which is, you know, which the first time he asks it, it, it's clear Croesus is trying to pretend that he's like objectively asking the question, but happiest of men or th- was it luckiest? I've no, heard the he story is luckiest. Uh, I think it has both in here, but um, huh. if you give me a second, I'll answer it. But tell me, yeah, it's uh, so I really can't resist asking you now whether in the search for knowledge. So uh, oh, wait, I just read the same thing. Um, you have seen yet anyone who surpasses all others in happiness and prosperity. So happiness oh, okay. and prosperity. Yeah, I yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so what does Solon say? What is does Solon say Croesus? No. 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 Who does he say? 
I can't remember who he says, but the, the stipulation is you can't know if somebody's happy until they're dead. That's right? the punchline we'll get yeah. to in a second. Sorry. Yeah. That's fine. Ruined it. No, it's, it's we're 180 episodes into that. <laughs> How could you, Graham? No, I'm joking. That was a joke. Okay. So he, he the first answer is, tell us the Athenian. Do you want to make a joke about Telus? That seems okay. Don't. I think I've killed it by asking you to tell a joke. So, tell us a joke. No, okay. So, sire, that would be Telus the Athenian. What do you all know about Telus the Athenian? I know nothing. Zero. Correct. Where else is Telus the Athenian mentioned? No, I said I know nothing about him. Nowhere. This yeah. is the only place he's. Oh, really? He's not. This is Herodic- this is some dude that Solon knew. He's like yes. he's a jolly fella. Yes. Gives and that's his parties. answer to. And I love this Solon. This like. He, he was king of Athens, right? He founded the law. He's traveled the world. And his answer is like some guy from back where I used to live like that. That's his answer. And Croesus is kind of puzzled and says, why? And Solon says, for one thing, he lived in a famous city. So he likes Athens, right? And had good and noble children. And he saw all his children and grandchildren survive him. Besides, he was well off, at least by our standards of living, and he ended his life in the greatest glory, for he came to the aid of the Athenians in a battle against the neighbors and elite in I don't know how to say that and forced the enemy to flee before he died most nobly on the battlefield. Dang. The Athenians buried him at public expense at the very place he fell and gave him great honors. Oh, that's what, the, a, what a life. That's the life of Telus. Yeah, it sounds great. So he had great kids, got to meet his grandkids, got to fight until his very last day. They all day. survived, which is uh, pretty unique for, you know, in for history. That time, right. Yeah. yeah, sure. And everyone loves him. Yes. He's a hero. Dies a hero. Yes. And that's the happiest of men. So he's got a lot. Yeah. A lot of kids, lives a long, full life and then dies a hero. That's awesome. Yeah. Let me give you the second one and then we'll chat a little bit. So Croesus obviously is not happy about this answer. And so he goes, who's the second happiest person, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and Solon kind of thinks about it and he goes, well, you know, it's a tie for second. There, it, these two sons named Cleobus and Biton. And we've talked, we've talked about them, you know, hundred, a hundred episodes ago, but Cleobus and Biton, do y'all know this? Aren't they the fellows that dragged their mom to town? Yes. So yeah. their mom wants to go to town for a, like a party to celebrate Hera and, the servants don't, um, what's it called when you get the, oc- like the yoke, they don't yoke the oxes in time or is the, is an ox what you would take to anyway, whatever the animal is probably a horse or something, whatever thing needs to be yoked to get the mom to the town. They, the servants don't do it. And so, and her hair is all did and she, it's time yes, to go. She's ready to go. Yeah. And she needs to leave at this time to make it in time. And she's worried that she won't get to honor Hera if she doesn't leave. And so she's distressed and her two sons look at each other and they decide to put themselves in the yoke and they carry, not carry, but they pull their mother six miles to town to, um, you know, which has to be really painful in the first place. And they're, they're, if you see statues of them, they're broad shouldered for this reason, but they take their mother to, to town six miles. You know, they exert themselves. They're really tired when they get there, they get to town. Everyone in town is just like, in awe of how great these children are. What to a couple mother. of lads. Yeah, exactly. Like how, and how proud of a mother must you be that yeah. your, your kids weren't just like, you know, sucks to be you. They mm-hmm. stepped up and called an Uber mom. Yeah. You say call an Uber. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, a classical Uber. Right. Um, and so the town is celebrating them. Um, and they're exhausted. So they go to sleep under a tree. The priestess of Hera asks the mom, Hey, Mom, not you know, whatever. But hey, you lady, what do you want? Like, ask me something, and I will offer this as a prayer to Hera. What do you want? In um, what do you want in response to this like great thing we've seen today? And her mom, I'm sorry, the mom says, "I pray that my sons die the happiest of men." And they died immediately. Oh, they died immediately. What, but 
but that's the, I know. But that's the question. I guess we should go into. Life so, wasn't going to get better for them. That's the thing. They're they're going out on a high note. Is one way to say it. They, right. That's like why they're tied for second. Because <laughs> <laughs> Tella's got to live the full yeah, life. It's not right? top. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, not top. Fair. But so the punchline again, which Graham spoiled. I'll get over. Don't worry. I'll um, enough therapy. I'll probably make it. You'll get there. No, that's yeah. okay. um, is that uh, Solon can't say Croesus is the happiest of men because his life hasn't ended. And so, yeah, he's got stuff now, but you don't know where his life is going. So I can't say you. And these people died in this moment of honor that seals essentially their life. And that's the only way you can judge them. So that is Solon's answer via Herodotus. This conversation probably never actually happened. So it's Herodotus telling us this. What are you talking about? Uh, he's writing so- it down. Sounds legit. Solon was born the year that Croesus died. It's one or the other. It must be Solon. Yeah, I think Croesus. Te- technicalities. Yeah, sorry. Or I choose to believe both. Okay. I believe everything. <laughs> I, I reject your reality very, and substitute my own. There's <laughs> a very small overlap where this conversation could have happened, and it's widely thought that it didn't. It kind of doesn't matter. And Solon would have been like five years old That's or what something. I, mean. yeah. I think it's the other way around where Croesus would have been too young because I think Solon was older, but right. I'm, I'm going to get it all mixed up. Yeah. I, I don't think it matters. I think whether this actual conversation has happened, this type of conversation has happened a thousand, a million times through history and therefore is true at some level. Um, but so this is Herodotus's answer. Again, he's putting it in his book. What do you all think about this? Again, Graham's last episode was on happiness. Does this have any interaction with what we were talking about last time? What do you think about this view toward happiness? Yeah, I think when you're like judging the lives of others, for sure, that needs to be taken into consideration. Sure. Um, when you're talking about what are the moments that make my life happy, I think what we were talking about last episode still qualify. Sure. And it qualifies because if you look at the happiest guy, he has yes. those things. Family who loves him, a community that respects him, meaningful work. Yes. He doesn't have like a life of pain or suffering or injury. Yes. He doesn't have like chronic diseases. Like he doesn't have like leg burning syndrome or something. Sure. Um, so say, he has those things, yes. and that was sustained through the entirety of his yes. life. Because because for Tellus, you would like the longer his life goes on, the more likely you would say this is a happy life. Now you don't know for sure because yeah, you know the day before he dies, he cheats on his wife and all his money gets stolen. Like you know that there are ways that that could change, but. More, than, more likely than not, you would look at that and say it's a good life. Yeah, or you think home. of like um, um, like Cory ten Boom, The Hiding Place. She's a Dutch um, um, Christian woman. Uh, her father, um, old man who died in a concentration camp. So I think about him. Like here's somebody that had a great life being a well-respected watchmaker in Harlem in the Netherlands. And all the way up until he was a doddering old man, then, you know, the world's falling apart, the Nazis invade, and they send him off to concentration camp because he was protecting Jews in his house. You know, like, there's the example of, well, at the end, all of the stuff that you worked for, you see it all go away, you die in this horrible spot. Right. That being said, he would still be, you know, he would... um, He would probably still look back on his life and say, like, you know, this was still a good thing. And... His faith is a, is a part of that as well. But anyway, I, 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 usually, I often think of Cornelius as somebody, uh, when thinking about that question of everything seems set, you're in your sort of twilight years or you're in your uh, older years, and then major world events are happening that you as an old man have no 
ability to control, but, even, but you get swept up in them. But even Telus and Cleobus and Biton, they are noble in the face of all that happens to them. And yeah. that's where, and so, is, and so is Cornelius. That's what I mean, though, yeah. of that I don't... So, yes, wealth is a part of the answer here, especially for Telus, but it's not for Cleobus and Biton. Mm. And so... Uh, I still think that you could put Cornelius in that happy category, given yeah. the example here. Yes. Even though the sadness of like concentration camp mm-hmm. would need to go into account for that. But, but in this one, that's like something that happened to him. Yes. Whereas, um, um, I don't know the story of Croesus, but well, well I'm yeah, going to tell it. I don't know if he's bit. like his his immoral living or whatever. Um, but yeah, the place a superimposed or thinking about happiness with a character like Cornelius in the Hiding Place or Job. Or yeah. these kinds of things add that sort of interesting mix to the uh, to this question. But I think I think uh, Solon's right in saying, "Well, if you really want to assess it, you've got to wait until the story's done." Yeah, I, I mean, if it was me, if I was Croesus, I'd be a little cranky. I it, it depends on what he was asking. If I'm asking for the happiest person ever to have lived, then it's probably not going to be me. But if he means <laughs> happiest person now, not dead people, then. Then it's a fair question, right? Like, who cares if I'm going to lose it? I mean, right, right now, who's happiest? Not who's the guy you knew that died happy? Because if you take the great wealth of humanity that have all lived, you're probably not the happiest, right? I don't think that's what it's a leading question. So you don't like Solon's well actually answered? Yeah, Yeah, I feel like Solon was like squirming out of it to be a a smarter than thou. Actually, yeah. So it's this guy I know. It's not you. I know what you want, but I'm not going to give it to you. So AJ takes Croesus' side. Solon did not please Croesus at all by telling him this, and Croesus dismissed him, thinking him worthless and extremely ignorant for overlooking the good things right before his eyes, and telling him instead to look at to the very end of the matter. Anyway, it's a funny. It's, so like Solon goes on for pages and pages, and that's Croesus' response is like, "Go get out of here!" Exactly. Like I, I hate you. Useless. Cause, especially because he's like throwing a party and. You got to think Solon's eating his food, and it's like, yeah. Wait, what? Hold on. And he's probably toasting, and they've got yeah. wine, and he's just fed him, and he's like, "Hey, man, who do you think is the happiest people right now?" And you know, Solon's like, "Well, I know this guy back <laughs> this, in my hometown. This random guy I can tell you about of, it. Yeah. He had children." And I'll be like, "Yeah, get out of here. It's a party, man. Get out of here." Yes. AJ is a seven. This is. A, is that? Yeah. Oh, good. Is everything about the enneagram now? Um, I, I, I live in the now. <laughs> wait, no, this is bad. Uh, so that's that's the Croesus and Solon story. That again. Each section of the history, Herodotus's history, is kind of telling a, a certain person's story. So this is Croesus's story. So this is near the beginning. There's a little bit before where we talked about his how he got to his position. Now he's in his position, and now we have this kind of framing device at the beginning. Croesus wants to be declared the happiest of men. So then the question is, what happens next? And that's what I'll cover for the rest of this. So Croesus has this crummy encounter with Solon, and then kind of moves on with his life. Croesus has two sons, and um, he has a dream about one. So first off, he has two sons. One is healthy and, um, you know, is a healthy, strong boy. The other one is mute. So that's, Hmm. he's, um, yeah, can't talk. He cannot talk. So Croesus has a a dream about his um, son that's not mute, um, Atis, A-T-Y-S, Atis. So this dream about Atis is that, um, Atis is going to um, die from a spear wound. So he's going to get um, speared and then he's going to die. So that's what, that's the thing that's going to happen. So as a result of getting this dream, Croesus is like, I need to keep my son super safe. So he gets his son married and as a, you know, because he's married, he gives him an excuse to keep him off of the battlefield and out of combat and anything like that. So he kind of locks him away and, um, Atis is like obviously not happy about this. 
Um, and this comes to a head when there's a boar that is, um, there's a large boar outside the city that is attacking people and killing people and they need to deal with it. So Adis says that he wants to go and take care of this battle. His defense is that boars don't throw spears, so he should be fine in this battle. Croesus is not really sold on this. While all this is going on, uh, a, a guy named Adrastos shows up. Adrastos is, um, he's a son of a friend of Croesus's. That that whole hospitality code stuff we talked about last time, like that's referenced here. Of like, your father stayed with me twenty years ago, and so I welcome you into my house. Um, is this guy's favorite hobby throwing spears? Well, just- Adrastos has this unfortunate thing where he was kicked out of where he's from because he accidentally killed, I think, his brother. Maybe he's like cross-eyed and he can't, <laughs> well, can't throw straight. Keep that in mind. So Adrastos shows up and is like, hey, I have to flee because I accidentally killed my brother. Swear it was an accident. Really sorry it happened. And I- I'm making it sound more sarcastic, but it's actually presented sympathetically. Like this poor guy did not mean to kill his brother. And, it's and like, refuge cities are a thing. Yes. Back then. So because of this friendship that they are not friendship because of this hospitality that they share Croesus forgives Adrastos or cleanses him um, you know declares him not guilty of this thing that's happened and says to Adrastos keep an eye on my son keep an eye on Adis and because Adrastos is there Croesus thinks oh I can now send Adis on this boar hunt it's going to be fine because I have a guy watching him and so I don't need to worry about what's going to happen red flags dude red flags why? What, what red flag could there be about a guy who actually killed his brother going on a boar hunt? Do you know how they hunt boars? With spears. They take spears and they throw spears at the boar. Anyway, so uh, you see where this is going, that Adis goes on the boar hunt. They circle the boar. They all throw their spear and Adrastos, who might be cross-eyed, throws a spear and hits Adis. So he, he kills the son of the guy who just like forgave him of his wrongdoing. And, and he's like, dang it, not again. Not again, exactly. I mean, that's like literally the the sense of it. So they go back home. Croesus is not <laughs> very happy about this for obvious reasons. And I think Adrastos, I don't think Croesus kills him. I think Adrastos kills himself. Aww, but like, buddy. Oh, poor the guy. Second time, the second time this has happened, it's, I mean, it's a problem. And so. I imagine you're pretty messed up after killing somebody on accident. He is not happy. Then, yeah. And it's not, I don't think Croesus like demands he does it. It's just like a. Of course, like, of course he's going to do this. Yeah. Oh, um, sad. It's, it is very sad. It's not very good. Yeah. Um, so this Croesus then continues on from here. He wants, he's hearing rumblings of this conflict uh, brewing, this, this great king uh, from, you know, kind of across his boundaries who is starting to conquer some lands around him. And he wants to have the support or he wants an edge on in combat. And so he, um, he sends a bunch of, um, gold and like um, dishes and bowls and stuff to the oracles. And he tries to test the oracles. He wants to find out which Oracle is like legit and actually knows their stuff. And so he, he goes, he sends out all these groups of men and on the same day at the same hour, they all ask the Oracle, what is Croesus doing? It, they, they dress it up better than that, but they all ask what is Croesus doing right now? And the um, Pythia, the um, Oracle of Delphi, the re- representative of the Oracle of Delphi, gives the right answer, saying that he's cooking lamb and turtle in a copper. Hold on, let me get it. Into the depth of my sense has come the smell of hard shelled tortoise boiling in bronze with the meat of lamb laid upon bronze below, covered with bronze on top. So he mm, cut, up, soup. cut up a tortoise and some lamb, put it in a bronze pot, and Oracle of Delphi got it. Sounds really good. I'm getting hungry. You want tortoise? Tor- tortoise here, head turtle? 
Never had turtles. I don't know. Maybe. I thought you were going to say you did. Is it like I've had all kinds of weird food. I've Canadian had weird food, but I've never had turtle. Missing out. I would eat some turtle. Would you? Yeah. Um, then this proves that the Oracle at Delphi is the legit one. So he starts going to the uh, Oracle at Delphi for all of his prophecies. And so we get a couple of prophecies that all go exactly according to plan and nothing sketchy happens with any of them. Um, let's see. Um, so he asks questions about what he should do in regards to this King. And I'm trying to find the quote and I'm not seeing the first one is that, um, Croesus, when you go to war, a great empire will end. <laughs> and he's like, awesome. awesome. This like Cyrus guy is like, I'm going to destroy this guy. He's got a great empire. And so let's go. And then the second one is... You just forgot about the empire he owned? What? I don't know what you're talking about. And the second one, but whenever a mule becomes king of the Medes, then tender-footed Lydian, flee by the pebbled river Hermas and do not delay nor feel shame at being a coward. So when a mule becomes the king of this place he's going to fight, run away. And he's like, a mule's never going to become king. Like, that's crazy. Do you know what a mule... Where does a mule come from? Do you all know? Donkey horse. Donkey and a horse. So kind of this like mixed marriage. Yeah. Okay. Just things to keep in mind. Um, oh, the, so the Oracle was being all shady and, oh, yeah. and being symbolic. Oh, yeah. Being metaphorical. Nah, I just, Man, it was metaphorical. And oracles. so Croesus is like... <laughs> Metaf- metaphorical. Oracles. Me- oh, we did it, guys. Okay, so Croesus is like, okay, <laughs> I got the legit Oracle. The legit Oracle told me that a great empire is going to end when we go to war and that I only need to be worried when a mule is the king of this other land. So I'm great. I'm going to go to war. Um there's a bunch of other interesting stuff that I, I don't have time to go into. He doesn't have any advisors, people being like, mm. he does. Okay. And he ignores them all. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple stories in here of someone who's like, you sure you want to do that? And he's like, yes, I have the Oracle backing me and we'll get the Oracle defending themselves later. We probably won't get to it actually. But um, in this intermediate time that I won't actually get to talk about, we learn about um, the origin of Athens. We learn about the um, origin of Sparta. Uh, so, the, like, Kyrgyz. Meanwhile, is Solon just being, like, a jerk at other parties? All this <laughs> we don't hear about Solon again. Uh, just being, like, a real wet blanket. The, who's the fastest runner? Well, at one time, I, I, <laughs> I, think I, I, I believe the fastest thing in the animal kingdom is a cheetah. This is the person uh, who never runs. It's like, oh, wow. wow. Oh, wisdom. <laughs> That's the answer to Xena's paradox, right? You just never walk. We're at the point where Graham and AJ are now getting snacks because uh, they're so... No, these are medjool dates, my friend. Is your blood these sugar are... so low that you need uh, something to make it through my episode? We'll make mm. it. Okay. Well, they just don't crunch. They don't crunch. They're, they're oh, good, quiet snacks. Yeah. Well, we here I am outing you. No one would have ever known until I said until something. Until you said something. But it's the in-between episodes where we start eating from chip bags. So. That's true. Yeah. The okay. only way they come to know is because yeah. they're yeah. different yep. from how we talk. Okay, so we get a bunch of interesting stuff in the middle. Herodotus likes to take detours and he'll... What kicks off the story is that Croesus starts asking for help from other people to go to war against Cyrus, but these other people have other stuff going on. And so we get background on the Athens and back on the Athenians and background on the Spartans. Yeah. I'd what? love to help you, man. You, gotta wash I got my hair. Uh, you know, we got some, well, the some Croesus, stuff. They are the Sparta one is it's like, you know, how does Sparta come to be what it is? It's like, like Kyrgyz is named like a representative of the divine by the Pythia. It's like really interesting story, but unfortunately time wa- runs away from us. Um, I'll skip all that to just get to the fight with Cyrus. That's the relevant part. Uh, so no one comes to help um, Croesus, which is unfortunate for mm-hmm. him. And so they start this combat. Um, Cyrus is kind of looking at his options. Uh, apparently Sardis and Sardis has this like great cavalry. So they have all these like awesome horses that would destroy his army if he just like, well, f- so f- I'm sorry. First off, Croesus and Cyrus have a fight and they fight to a draw. But 
Cyrus doesn't have all of his forces at the time. And so uh, Croesus thinks he's doing better than he actually is. Croesus pulls back to Sardis. Cyrus gets his forces. They, they charge on Sardis and they, uh, when Cyrus sees all these horses, apparently, I don't know if this is true. Um, horses are scared of camels. Is this true? Do y'all know? No idea. Okay. So what? Camels are freaky looking though. And they're probably You're like, fair. what happened to that horse? That's exactly yeah. right. What's the thing on his back? got some sort of mutation. What did they do to him? Yeah. So Cyrus gets all these camels and, and um, uh, uses those to like, that's the front of his army is camels attacking Sardis, which has to be hilarious because it's like really slow. But but the horses. No, dude, camels can, camels can get to a clip. Oh, yeah, take it back. Dangerous. I'm so sorry. Yeah. All my it's just hard to get on them. So and they also spit a lot. So that, that part is true. Well, they also smell funny, I think, is what and they say here. But And they're just jerks. They'll bite yes. you. And you don't yeah. have to give them water every, you know, that's a great every, point. every so often. Guys, we should trade in our horses for camels. Have you ever ridden a camel? No, I've never been on a camel. So, have you been on a camel? I've been on a camel. In where? Where were you? I was in Egypt. Were you? Oh, good for you. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so, these camels march on Sardis, uh, charge on it, charge quickly. Uh, they run as fast as the wind. And the smell of the camels freaks the horses <laughs> out, and the um, horses all bolt, and Cyrus just destroys Sardis, just destroys this town. Or not, I'm sorry. He, he keeps Croesus alive. That's one of the rules. But his, his men do start, you know, pillaging. They start taking everything in the town. And, it, you know, it's, it's hardly even a battle. All these people die. It's, uh, it's horrible. Um, then there's this whole prophecy about how Croesus' son wouldn't speak until the day of Croesus' uh, fall. And on this one day, uh, a guy is about to stab Croesus. And Croesus' son yells, don't kill Croesus. And <laughs> Croesus is like, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was a bad day, but now I know it's bad. Morning, Dad. Shut up. So that happens, and Croesus is then put on the pyre. Uh, is put on a pyre, and he's going to be burned alive. And he's like, "That is unfortunate." It is unfortunate. And he's just like standing there. Uh, in a previous episode, we said that he was in fact burned at the pyre, but that is not what happens to him. Thank you to listener Theo. You literally emailed me within the week we were doing this episode, so your timing is impeccable. Um, so. Croesus is put on the, the pyre, uh, the, or Cyrus puts him on a pyre to burn him alive. It's not really, Herodotus even says, it's not really clear why he did this. And um, so Croesus is just like, um, he's he's really mad and he's like muttering to himself. He's like, Solon, Solon, Solon. And Cyrus is like, what? What's, what's that strange man saying to himself? And so they go to Croesus. They're like, what are you saying? And Croesus says, this guy, Solon, told me I wasn't the happiest of men, that I would only know if I was happy at the end of my days. And turns out my life's not very happy. And Cyrus is impressed by the wisdom of what Croesus is saying. This, like, this you know, Solon sounds like a great guy. All right, yeah, light him up, boys. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> they'd already started lighting up the pyre. And after Cyrus hears this, he's like, oh, we should save this guy. Cause I want to like hear what he has to say. And it's too late. The pyre is like Aww. picked up steam and, um, starting to like burn up. But, um, Croesus prays to Apollo and there's a rainstorm there and the go. rain puts out the pyre. Whew. And at that Cyrus is like, who's this guy? <laughs> like, that is a stroke of luck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, it's a intervention of the gods, right? No. Um, it's actually one of those few times. Well, I guess the whole thing with the Oracle is mystical, but it's one of those few times where a God is prayed to and something happens. One of those like mystical elements intersecting with the story. Anyway, so that happens. And Cyrus is like, uh, who are you? Like what is happening? Um, again, I'll skip over the details here. Um, Croesus, I'm sorry, Cyrus asks Croesus for his, his advice. Does he see anything that Cyrus could be doing better or differently? Cyrus says, your men 
are used to this life, this difficult life of hunger and um, barely making like a eking out an existence. But with them pillaging right now, they're going to get too used to this and they're going to betray you. Essentially, they're going to be so enamored of the goods around them that they're not going to follow you into war anymore. So you should stop them from pillaging the town. It's kind of a self-serving thing. You know, he's the former king of the town, but nonetheless, he tells him that Cyrus thinks it's really good advice, tells his men to stop pillaging and then tells Croesus, Croesus, I'll give you anything that you want. Anything that you ask for, I will give to you. I would like my town back. I want, town. I want to be king again. Darn it. And um, Croesus says that he wants to go to the Pythia. He wants to go back to the Oracle of Delphi to smack him in the face. Yeah. To confront them. And is the Pythia, is Pythia a woman? Is that, I think so. Okay. Confront oh, and her. It depends. Oh, I think it depends. Confront them. Um, and, um, and say to confront them and say, you lied to me essentially. Like, yeah. A, a mule. Really? <laughs> yeah, mule? Says, and so that's kind of the, that's kind of the end of, uh, Croesus historian here that he goes to the Pythia. He takes, he, he has his shackles on him. And so he lays his shackles like as an offering to the Pythia and says, what the heck? Why did you do this? Why did you lie to me? And the Pythia tells him everything. Pythia says, you're the fourth generation from Gyges. And mm. This is the punishment for, um, this, you know, the mistakes of your father, your father's 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 father, whatever. Your dad was this weird dude that like looked at ladies yes. when they were changing. This so. is a result of Gyges, which is the reason you were king in the first place. And this is the punishment that was promised. Um, this punishment was supposed to come sooner, but Apollo held it off for three years. And that's also who saved him in the end was Apollo. Um, the one about the two going to war and a great empire would end. That's Croesus's empire. That prophecy came true. And the one about a mule, this apparently might not be true, but it's said that Cyrus is, I think Cyrus's father is some kind of noble and mother is like a peasant or vice versa. But that's the mixed marriage in the way that a mule comes from a horse and a donkey. Yeah. Sounds like equivocation to me. Yeah. Yeah. Again, no time for this, but maybe this is for the in between episode, but it's, it's hard to tell. It's like that Nicodemus thing where like we find ways to justify how the prophecy was true, even though at the time I don't think they knew, but those things are so specific. Nicodemus. Isn't that the, no, you mean Nostradamus. Nostradamus. I'm sorry. It's like, I was like, like Nicodemus was oh, his prophecy. Guy, sorry, like, no, yes, no, he was Nostradamus, a wee little man. Sorry. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, wait, that was, uh, who's the, that's the text. That's Zacchaeus. That's Zacchaeus. Oh, yeah. Who's Nicodemus? He's, uh, the one who wants to sell, uh, um, he wants to buy his way into the kingdom, right? Isn't that, I can't remember. Oh, we'll find We'll find out. Someone will email. I apologize for it later. I thought that was Simon. <laughs> it is Simon because it's Simony. Sorry. Yeah. Right. See, we're all we can't get any of this right. Um, why does anyone listen? No, sorry. No, listen to our podcast. Um, so that's the end of the story. So Croesus, Croesus's failures ultimately are on him. He was arrogant, assumed the best for these prophecies, and they didn't play out the way that he wanted to, and he. Um, ended the reign of the um, Her- um, Heracles, the, his line of people. And so part two of book one is the story of Cyrus, which I haven't gotten into, but that's kind of the where we go from here. Cyrus is awesome. We should do an episode on Xenophon's history of the life of Cyrus. Cyrus so the virus. Good. I don't think that's what they call him. Cyrus is a bro. Isn't he great? Isn't yeah. He? yeah. Okay. Cyrus the great. Isn't he? Okay. He's a bro? He's, a, he's just like... He's Parties awesome. all the time? He's just super cool. <laughs> I don't think he meant... Did you mean bro that way? I just mean like... You just want to be friends with Cyrus. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, and again, I haven't read that part of the book, but that's where Herodotus, Herodotus goes from here. Disagrees, Maybe. I guess we'll find out. Xenophon but again, that's what we're tracking these stories that aren't, these are, we're kind of east of Greece right now, but he's still tracking the great deeds. He's trying to balance the good and the bad. Croesus wasn't all bad. He still built this empire. 
um, great at combat, but there was a foolishness, which I think leaves the story as a warning of not counting oneself too happy, blessed, lucky too early. Right. So that's the place to land it for right now. We'll talk more in the in-between episode. I am sure. Cool. Cool. Sounds great. Well, this has been classical stuff. You should know. You can find our website at classicalstuff.net. You can find our podcast pretty much anywhere podcasts happen. We are on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. And you're here. And you're here, yeah, right? Like which means point. you kind of yeah. nailed it somehow, right? Good job. You found Congrats. your way. Yeah. Unless we're being clipped on some random you know, side site. But you can find our cool. stuff. <laughs> and then you can, you can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. We will try to get back to you as soon as we can. You can support us on Patreon. Uh, patreon.com slash classical stuff I believe you got it yep nailed it and uh, I think that's it yeah let us know if we got things wrong we often do and and uh, yeah we like to interact with our fans cool. so we appreciate everything you guys do oh you can tweet at us at CLSSCAL stuff if you think you're the happiest of men send drop us an email yeah we'll uh, let you know yeah. yeah we'll tell you that it wasn't it's not you it's this <laughs> this guy tell us who's uh, apparently the happiest <laughs> so it's not you go home. All right. That's true. And that's the classical stuff signing off. Bye. 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 Bye.